0: Welcome to this edition of the Conscious Capitalist. I'd like to welcome you to the show. i also like to welcome my guest today, Mr. Yvonne Johnson. Hello, good brother Johnson. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So uh, Mr. Johnson is a licensed real estate agent here in Brooklyn, New York. He's uh, shared insights on the real estate market with me on a couple of occasions, talking about things like fraudulent deeds and Uh, what to do to prepare yourself to buy a home today, and uh, he felt it would be interesting in this climate to again talk about what it takes to get to the closing. So uh, I'm going to let him uh, tell us uh, some of the things we need to be concerned about if we're selling a property, maybe even buying a property, and trying to figure out what we need to do to get to the closing. But before we do that, I'd just like uh, Mr. Johnson to give us an overview of where the market is now. I guess you know, in Brooklyn here especially, uh, the market's been popping the past couple of years. Uh, new construction going up, rents are going up, housing prices are going up. Uh, is that still going on?
1: Well, interest rates have gone up a bit, so it's kind of going to regulate the uh, cost per property in a roundabout way. Um, they recently raised it again, so whatever if somebody's able to afford $1.5 million, they won't be able to afford the same amount. So that's changing. Also, the reports, the, the realtors' reports came out, I'm saying maybe last week sometimes, and seeing that the property value has gone down a bit. Well, the amount of property sold has gone down a bit. So with that, I mean, the market is very interesting because you don't have much inventory on the market, but you still have a large amount of buyers ready to purchase. So that's why I believe it's very, very important to understand how to get to closing, because there's so many buyers in the market, you really have to weed out those that are very serious and those that are not so serious. So that's why I think this will be a really great topic to speak about.
0: Sounds good, sounds good. So um, so I want to sell my house, all right? Um, comps, recent, recent comps are, let's say, you know, 1.2, 1.3, all right? But I want 1.8. All right. So I want about a half mil more than what most recent cops went for. Can you get me there? No. Um, the reason why I would not be able to get you, I would be able to get you there
1: if you had someone that was a cash buyer that was willing to pay that amount without getting it appraised. Because if you're getting financing, the bank is only going to give you what the property appraises for. And if you have comparables that are going to be 1.2 1.4 million you want one point eight million. That person, you have to. I would have to negotiate on your behalf and tell the buyer that they will have to pay the difference in what it does not appraise for. So the bank will give you say one point four million. It appraises for one point four million, and the the buyers will have to actually come up with another four hundred thousand.
0: Let me ask you this though. All right, so so you're saying the issue in this situation, the scenario, the issue is that. Comps were 1. You know, to 1.3, um, but would would you know? Let's say, three or four months pass since that last property sold for 1.3. Is it possible that an appraiser could come out and look at the market and see how 1.8 might be justified? Maybe I've made some additions to my house or something that might make it a little different. Does that play at all into the appraised value, or do they strictly look at, you know, well, this house sold for $1.2, this one sold for $1.59, this one sold for $1.4, so we mix it all in, it's an average comp value of $1.4, as you said.
1: It's a great question. What happens in that case scenario? You had a property that was in Prospect Leffers Gardens, and— all the comps were actually justified the highest company area at the time was around 1.8, 1.6 1.8 million. And what ended up happening, they did a gut renovation. they put high-end finishings into this property. They put so much money in and I was like, wow, how are you going to get that money back out?" But what ended up happening was once the appraisers came in, they looked at what they did to the property and they took that into consideration. So if you do some high-end renovations, um, you can get a higher cost. That's why some properties actually create records in certain neighborhoods, but it's all based on the type of renovations you
0: do. Renovations and or kinds of appliances like sub-zero appliances, marble, Italian marble countertops, does that factor in too? Or is it, you know, does that? I would
1: say more kitchen Renovations relating to kitchen, renovations relating to adding addition additional livable space. Say for example, you are able to take advantage of um, square footage that is not used, and you could do an extension, and you can get the permits and get that approved. These are things that instantly add to the value of the property. Uh, there's some things that don't add to the value of the property. So when it comes to doing a renovation, you want to make sure for every dollar you put in is going to relate to a return on your investment.
0: Okay. so all right, So um, you talk to me and you tell me, hey, that 1.8 you're looking for probably won't happen. Um, while we have buyers out here, none of them are willing to uh, step up to the plate and pay that difference between what the appraised value of 1.4 or 1.5 is and what you're looking for 1.8. So I sulk for a minute or two, but say, okay, well, let me just sell it for whatever the appraised value is. All right. So... Um, we decide to put the house on the market. What do you do to get me to closing? What are the things that the seller needs to you know, what's the process the seller follows and goes through to get to closing? What do you what do you walk them through? I like calling it the
1: the concept of leverage. You really have to leverage all of your resources and resources are considered to be people that you're working with. What I've experienced in the last couple of years dealing in real estate is having deals in which you have individuals that are working on your deal that can be obstructing your deal, preventing it from going to closing. For example, you have some home inspectors that the buyer will bring that are strategically chosen so that they can try to get the seller to reduce the price point. Let me explain more about how they try to do that. So say you have a, you have a property that is selling for $1.4 million and the individual, he comes in, he seems very excited. He says, I'll pay a little more than that. So now, you're, you're, you're of course, you're going to be excited because you may get a little more than what you have it listed for, so you accept the offer. So now my job will be to get them to schedule that inspection as fast as possible and for a number of reasons. I'll tell you why in a second. But once they come in with that home inspector, this is a strategy that some buyers try to use. They use that home inspector to try to draw out issues that will try to get you to reduce the price. So to avoid that, what I do while I'm speaking with the agent or the buyer, if they don't have anyone representing them, I'll tell them, listen, you look at the property. I know we have to do an engineer report. Is there anything that you see now that will cause you to change your offer amount? Now, if we see something that we can't, obviously see here until we get an engineer's report that is detrimental to the condition of the property or safety issues. I can understand that. But if you find minor things in the engineer's report, will it change your offer amount? I ask that up front because there's one individual that tried to get me to go to my clients to get them to reduce the price by $230,000 based on speculating something may be wrong that wasn't even found in the engineer's report. How much is an engineer's report? Engineer's report it depends on the engineer. It could be anywhere from 200 to $500. depends on what they're doing.
0: So is it in uh seller's best interest to go ahead and pay for an engineer's report and know what it says up front?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be a great idea. There was another engineer that came out and looked at the problem. Another thing I would recommend, engineers being one of the people to really make sure that, you kind of have a handle and it's kind of hard if I'm representing the seller to really have control over that engineer. But what I can do is really investigate some things that are being said in the conversation during the time of negotiating the price, uh, looking at the property and seeing how they're progressing along. If they're dragging their feet and bringing in an engineer, that's a red flag for me. Um, so what happened in this, this other scenario, you had an engineer that came and the sellers, the buyers, excuse me, wanted to bring a contractor along. I say that should never, ever happen. Never have a contractor present when you have an engineer doing an inspection. The reason why, because the purpose of the contract is to find small items that they want to fix so that they can get the most money out of a renovation, the purpose for engineer is to find things that will be a potential hazard to the property to really point out. So you had this this contractor that was really con- he contaminated the entire inspection because he's pointing out things that are conventional home inspectors like no, this is fine. And he said, no, it's not fine. So they got a little contention brewed. He can he contaminated the whole inspection so that obviously that buyer did not purchase the property because. They had they planted a seed in the buyer's mind that caused them to not be certain about moving forward at that price point. They lost out on the property.
0: Wow, that's interesting. Interesting. All right, so so you get the engineer to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, they do the engineer's report. Does the buyer make the offer prior to the engineer coming in, or does, do they make the offer after the engineer? They make the
1: offer before the engineer comes out and before the contracts get sent out. Some some agents will have the contracts sent out before the engineer's report, but what I like to do is have them do the engineer's report before contracts are drawn up. The reason why, they find something in the engineer's report, and now they want to renegotiate terms, and that causes my client to have to pay more money going back to the attorney and drawing up another contract. So. I'd rather the engineer's report come back, uh, get the satisfied with the engineer's report, ready to move forward, and then we send out contracts.
0: So um, so is the house still on the market? I mean, my issue would be um, I, 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 I want to have as many buyers as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to take the house off the market or to stop showing it to people um, until I have a definitive offer from a buyer. So I would I guess I would say, okay, Mr. Buyer, you go ahead and get your engineering's report done, but until we sign a buy sell agreement, uh the house is still on the market. I'm still looking for buyers. So while um, you know, you wanna take your time and get to engineer, you know, I'm gonna have other people looking at it and if it can't catches somebody's fancy, you know, who wants to move faster, then, you know, you might lose out. So you know, it's, it's up to you to hurry up and get your engineer's report. I mean, that that's what I would think I would try to approach it. That is the that is the strategy because what happens is imagine if someone knows
1: that is not serious, that, okay, they took it off the market, they're waiting for me to get the engineer report done. That's a no-no because you lose a lot of leverage in negotiating. What I do, I let them know, listen, we, this, the property, and typically how all agents should be doing it, the property remains in the market until you have something ironclad. Until you have an executed contract, that's the only way. With a deposit, right. Once a contract is executed, that's when the down payment is actually sent to escrow. Mm -hmm. Once the you have signatures, and that check clears in the attorney's account, that's when I'm removing it from the market, and I have it listed as pending. (laughs) So people look at the property and say, "Okay, it's pending." So. It hasn't closed yet; it's in pending status. And then once that property actually closed, which we're gonna talk a little more about how to get to that point, that's when I'll submit uh, documentation to the Brooklyn to the MLS to let them know the property has now sold. And then you'll see a listed as sold.
0: Okay, so um, I take your advice. I have the uh, buyer to have a buyer who made an offer that I like, but they want to go through the engineering thing, so I still have have other buyers on the market. Let's say the buyer, you know, makes the offer, the engineer comes out, and he does his thing and doesn't find anything material, and the engineer um, steps up and says, okay, um, you know, everything's pretty much okay. Whatever I found was basically cosmetic would be, you know, stuff that, you know, would not require an adjustment in the price. So buyer gets the okay from the engineer to go ahead is that when we have the appraiser come out the appraiser that's right the next
1: step would be to schedule the appraisal so once the inspection is is clear contract is signed
0: okay so wait a minute so the inspector comes out looks at the property gives it a you know gives it you know yes it's okay mm-hmm. then we draw up the contracts yes that's before the appraisal is done that's correct all right, so here's my question, right? So you said a bank's not going to give you more than the appraised value. That's right. Right? So let's say I put a you know, my 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 um my offer was or you know, my my asking price was 1.4 in this case, right? Um <clears throat> let's say it appraises for we sign the contracts, everything, it's for 1.4. All right. So contracts are signed some deposit changes hands or down payment changes hands, goes into escrow, then we get the appraiser to come out, based on what I hear you saying, and let's say the appraiser comes out and he says, oh, it's 1.3. All right, then, then what happens? Then, then I'm essentially
1: responsible as the agent because the agent's responsibility is to make sure that when they have a listed price for a property that it will appraise. So what happens in that scenario, the contracts are drawn up, they have clauses placed within the contract stating that if it does not appraise, they will have an option to renegotiate the pricing. Um, some attorneys or some sellers will say, listen, we don't want to negotiate. You have to come up with a difference. So that's when you have the attorneys going back and forth, the, my client wants to renegotiate, my client doesn't want to renegotiate, and they have to come to a meeting of the minds in that way. But... Because it takes about 60 days for the bank to actually process uh, a, a mortgage, to draw up um, the, the mortgage note, during that whole entire process while they're doing their due diligence and checking the income, other things the bank does, that's when, within that process, they're going to be sending out the appraisal to come and appraise the property to ensure that they are able to loan that amount.
0: So so if the appraisal comes back a little less, it all becomes a, a new negotiating. Now, yeah. <coughs> now suppose the appraisal comes back at $1.55 or 1. $1.6. As the seller, can I now go to the buyer and say, hey, the appraised value is like $100,000 more than what we agreed to? Um, no.
1: no, it's already ironclad. If people sign and agree to a certain price, if it comes in higher, then th- that's going to benefit the buyer even more than it would be with the seller, of course. But the seller cannot now back out of the original listed price that they agreed to to ask for a higher price.
0: But suppose, right, can I, can the seller include language in the contract that says that if the appraised value comes in higher, then, I mean, just like you said, buyers might have the language in the contract that says if the appraisal comes in below the agreed-upon price, we can negotiate. Can the seller ask for that same kind of language that if the appraised value comes in higher than the agreed-upon price, we can renegotiate? Do you see that, or...? They can attempt it, but I I, I guarantee you that if the
1: buyer has a good attorney representing them, that would not fly.
0: So you said it made sense for the seller to probably engage... a engineer and have an engineering report done um for the same reasons might you think it makes sense for the seller to pay the cost of an appraisal how much does an appra- is an appraisal for a property appraisal is i'm not entirely sure what the appraisal is i'm not sure it's not more than like two or three thousand is it
1: I'm definitely going to be under that, less than that.
0: All right. So let's say it's two thousand or whatever. Would it? Does it make sense for the seller to go ahead and have his property appraised so he knows? You know, I mean, does that put him in a better position? To I mean, because nobody wants to leave anything on the table. Sure. So you know, I'm just trying to figure out what you know. What should a buyer? What should a seller do to make sure he can maximize uh, his return on on the investment that he's you know trying to sell? So. Do you, do you ever advise your clients to get the appraisal up front, the sellers you represent, or is it pretty much standard practice that everybody just waits and, you know, hey, if the appraisal comes back lower, the seller renegotiates, but if it comes back more, the seller just eats the difference and say, okay, you know, I'm going to move on with it.
1: That's not, I mean, getting to the, cl- the whole thing about getting to closing is that you don't want that risk. So... I mean, I haven't recommended my clients do an appraisal ahead of time because I really make sure I get accurate comparables. And the comparables I get, I make sure that the listed price that we use, we're going to get it appraised
0: for the listed price that we have it for. Oh, so so basically what you're saying is that when you deal with a decent agent, that agent's going to make, make sure that whatever you ask for is a price that, It'll be appraised for, It'll so appraise you don't have to market. you don't have to worry about exactly. that. Oh, that's interesting. All right, so so we we have the contract signed, we agreed on the price, you know. So now we go to the bank. All right, so what's what 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 are we doing to to get to closing? What's so before
1: before even that, choosing the attorney is so important. i I'm tell you, you have attorneys that I call obstructionists, and these attorneys, it's amazing to me to really see how so many deals fall apart because of the attorney you will be amazed and I don't know I don't know what I don't know what is in it for an attorney for a deal to fall apart because that's how they get paid but it happens a lot and what I would recommend for any client buyer or seller when you're choosing an attorney make sure you're choosing an attorney that is a real estate attorney not just a general practice attorney that has to be in court and some attorneys have to be in court they still are great managers of time. So they can have court cases. They can be in court. They may be dealing with uh, tenant-landlord issues. And they still can show up to closings. They still can uh, manage um, your specific case. But just imagine you have an attorney, that's a general practice attorney. They're doing criminal law cases. They're doing um, other law cases. They, they're working with uh, accountants. And they have so many different clients. How will they really be able to be there for you with needs that need to be met in a timely fashion. You really have to evaluate that and even ask probing questions when you're interviewing attorneys just to make sure they're going to be representing your best interests and be there for you when you need it. For example, there's an attorney or there's a client that I was representing and thank God we finally closed not too long ago, but there was one buyer that came across and this buyer was willing to offer Um, the highest amount, and the problem was that they had an attorney that was in Long Island. Um, The buyer was in Brooklyn. The buyer had a very, very heavy accent and had a problem communicating with his attorney. So in order for him to effectively communicate with his attorney, he had to go all the way to Long Island to speak with the attorney. This wastes time. To make a long story short, we never got the deal done. Because there was a breakdown in communication, so choosing an attorney that understands real estate, choosing an attorney that has closed multiple multiple deals uh, with clients in real estate is very important. Find someone that has worked with an attorney that's a great attorney that comes highly recommended is well worth your time.
0: Do you ever recommend attorneys, or do you? Is that a conflict of interest, or what? What I do is I, I do make recommendations, but
1: I'll give them three options, three to four options. Say, listen, you call them, you choose who you want. But these are the ones I've worked with in the past. They've done a great job for my clients. But I would never say choose this attorney and choose that attorney alone. All right. You
0: know? Okay. All right. So we got the attorney lined up. So I'm assuming we're getting closer to a closing, to yes. that closing. So we have the attorney then. So we, we get to the attorney before we actually do the contracts. So I guess there's a verbal agreement between the buyer and seller. The buyer says, "Okay, I can deal with this price. I had my engineer look at it; he's okay with it." Then, or or should a buy, should a seller engage the attorney even before he starts talking to buyers? Should should the should the seller have his attorney li- lined up? Yes. Even before. All right. All right. So. So this whole thing you're talking about the attorney, you know, when you decide to sell, you might start thinking about having an attorney present. Because once the buyer, once you and the buyer agree to a price and the buyer is okay to go based on the engineer's report, that's when you have to have the contract drawn up and and signed or whatever. And that's when you need the attorney Mm -hmm. to make sure that the contract is drawn and written in a way that protects your interests. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Um, for me also another thing is that I, I believe that
1: in the real estate space you are essentially matching uh, the right fit because you have some individuals that will come in with a very, very high offer just to hold the deal up and it may not necessarily be the right match or might fit for your client and also agents as well. I've worked with agents in the past that I knew just weren't a right fit for this type of a deal. And the reason why is because they weren't really clear on the needs of their client. They weren't really clear on their client in general. So I would ask them information about, okay, what does your client feel about this? Okay, put in the offer. When is your client prepared to do this? And if they're not certain about that, I'm really going to be considering other options for my client, for my seller, because I do not want agents also to botch up the deal. So you have agents, you have home inspectors, engineers, and you also have attorneys that are very, very key in
0: getting the deal to
1: the closing table.
0: All right, so we have the attorney, we have the contract. Um, Once you have the contract signed, the down payment made, and the bank gets involved, I guess the bank orders the appraisal, then the bank starts its due diligence process of uh, looking at the buyer, at that point, I mean, the seller's pretty much out of the picture until the bank, the buy, the bank says yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mortgage approved. That's correct. So once deal signed, everything squared away, and the buyer goes to the banker. Um, once that happens, the seller can step back and just wait for the bank to do its thing. Exactly. Let's say the bank comes back and says, "Okay, we can't do the deal."
1: Well, that would be a major problem. And what has to happen is before. I even accept an offer, I'm pre-qualifying that actual buyer. And I do it a number of ways. For one, I want to see documentation. I want to see proof of funds. Um, I want to see um, if they have the ability to be able to close. I want to see a pre-qualification, pre-approval letter. And I also have a mortgage guy that I've partnered with that I will actually have shadow the deal. So I'll say, listen, if it's okay, my sellers have a preferred lender. You can use whoever you like, it's fine, but I want my guy to shadow the deal. Just in case something happens or falls apart, they can pick it up from there. Are you okay with that? They say no, then I may be considering other options uh, because that is not a reasonable request. You can use your own person. I just want the deal to be shadowed by my preferred lender. So my preferred lender, what they'll do, they'll take the same information they submitted to their banker and they'll evaluate it to see how they came to the prequalification. And I also will call their lender and say, listen, how did you determine that they have the ability to be able to purchase this property? So I'm doing a number of things to prevent the bank from saying we cannot qualify them. We cannot issue a mortgage. The banks will not say that because I've done the due diligence to pre-qualify them unless they lose their job, which is something that's unforeseeable. But I ensure that they will have the ability to close before I submit the offer to my client. And before contracts are sent out.
0: All right, so um, so a lot of buyers are pre-qualified. I mean, a lot of people go out and get pre-qualified before they even start looking for a house. I mean, they they you know a lot of people know that one of the ways to you know improve the process or enhance the process is to come with a pre-qualification letter or a letter from a bank saying that this person is pre-qualified for a loan up to X, as long as X equals the asking price that the seller is looking for. It kind of, like, smooths the process along. All right, but um, not everybody does that. Now, my issue would be, okay, so I'm going to a bank, and the bank's going to process, and you come to me and you say, okay, you want your shadow mortgage or mortgage lender to, to shadow this process. Well, are they getting my W-2s? Are they getting all the information I'm giving the bank? You know, are they getting that too? Uh, because, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm wondering whether in this day and age of, Uh, uh, identity theft and all the other stuff going around. I'm wondering whether some buyers might be concerned um, with all of their information, you know, being given to another person, another entity that's going to go through that. Sure.
1: Um, That's that's something that I can see someone having a concern about with, you know, what I would convey to them is that your credit is not going to be run again they're just taking the information you already given to your preferred lender to your lender you're loo- using and they're just ensuring that my client will be satisfied with your ability to be able to close that's it so they have a concern with that I say, listen you know this is their uh, this is their uh broker's license no one is going to risk their license over a very very small transaction like this right uh, people are in real estate to make money and make multiple transactions they're not going to try to through that. So that's why you deal with licensed individuals. You know, you deal with someone who doesn't have a license, and I can see, you know, wanting to share information. You should never share information with someone that's not licensed. But someone that has a license and and they're with a a big-time broker or big-time mortgage bank, you shouldn't have any concerns like that.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, so now, what's, what's, what's next? We have the bank going on. I mean, you know, deal's pretty much done, right? I mean, we're just waiting for the bank to dot their I's and cross their T's and, you know... I'm getting the keys to the new house. So actually I'm getting a big fat check that I'm going to have to write another big fat check to you, right? And um, you know, is that it? That's we done?
1: No, we're not done. And there have been deals that fell apart at the closing table. And the reason why they fall apart at the closing table is because once again people drop their guard down. You have to be for me, I have to be vigilant. I'm extremely I'm a control. <laughs> Like people say, control freaks, I want to be in control of everything. I want to know everything that's happening. I'm very, very strict when it comes to time. And what happens in the process when it falls apart is that sometimes you have uh, a mortgage note. Uh, Banks uh, agree to uh, issue a mortgage to an individual, but it has a certain time frame to that. If that time frame lapses, then it may be an issue um, with the mortgage. So that's the first thing. I want to make sure, okay, the bank has given you... Um, they, they giving you a pre they're pre-approving you, the pre-approval letter is sent out, we seem to be good to go we have a date to close if they don't close within that time frame is going to be an issue you know, they're going to have to file for an extension are they going to be willing to file the extension, will they try to back out so I want to make sure they hold true to that timeline, I'm speaking with that agent on the phone, so listen, when are we closing when are you guys prepared to close, when is the closing date, also getting to the closing table itself is still not over. The last closing I did, you would not believe, the attorney advised his client to bring personal checks to the closing table.
0: Right, so That's what two times. This yes. is the buyer's
1: attorney. The buyer's attorney. I've seen this happen twice. The last time, the attorney said, it's okay, you can bring personal checks. Now, I always recommend for closings to be done in the morning so you have any hiccups The banks are still open. You can still conduct business. You have closings done in the afternoon. If something goes wrong, the banks close at a certain time. Then that closing will not happen that day. And you never know what's going to happen if it doesn't close that day. So they came with personal checks, and the attorney is saying, no, it's fine. I'll personally guarantee the checks. And the seller's attorney flipped out. She's like, look, we don't know you, for one. No one wants to chase you down for two. (laughs) It's like, so his client had to get up from the closing, go to the bank and get certified funds from the bank and come back to the closing. So uh, these are the things that uh, you really have to pick. Mm -hmm.
0: All right, so if I'm not using personal checks, I mean, is there a schedule of checks to be cut um, created a day or two before the closing? Yes. All right, so basically... The the buyer can use that that schedule of checks to be cut to go out and get cashier's checks exactly and bring the cashier's checks to closing exactly
1: it has to be certified funds you bring certified funds to close nobody's going to accept a personal check in this day and age especially for money in large amounts and then you close and then nobody can find you it's like no that's not that's not how real estate works
0: but let me ask mm-hmm. you this though right I thought and I'm not sure but um so. So at the closing, the bank's representative is there. Do, doesn't doesn't the bank pretty much cut all the checks? Um, the attorney. or the bank? The bank. Yes. The you bank. Have a bank attorney
1: that will be there cutting checks.
0: So why so, why doesn't the bank cut? The bank is buying the house or financing the house for the buyer. Why isn't it? Structured so that the bank is cutting all the checks required of the buyer at the closing.
1: I mean, well, some closings you have their cash. The ones I did, the last one I did was a cash transaction, so you just had buyer attorney, seller's attorney. There no banks involved. Oh. They had to take, they had to take the checks over to the bank after the closing, so that the seller that just sold the property can close out the account. So the banks weren't at the closing. They need to be there because it's the a cash transaction. Um, but when you do have cash transactions in which a bank is involved, the bank will be there. They'll be present. They may have the attorney present, but a representative for the bank will be there.
0: So when you say cash transaction, you don't mean that the buyer comes in with a bag of cash. You basically mean that there's no bank financing the, Correct. the mortgage. right. So, so chances are this, the buyer is still going to be cutting checks, it's that's not the thing. cash, yeah, right? The, the right. buyer
1: still Coming has to checks. come with checks, and the buyers, in some cases, they come with
0: personal checks, thinking that's fine.
1: That's, right. That's not.
0: Yeah, it's what not fine. No, I I can see how that. So so what happened? How did you guys resolve that problem? They had to go to the bank. They had to go over to your bank, leave the closing table, go
1: to the bank, get a sure cashier's it. check. It took like an hour, for them to do it, and you know. Did you pay, did you charge a uh, nuisance fee? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have. I wish I could have. But look, as long as the deal gets done. I'm satisfied, you know, and um, this whole thing is really helping agents, helping buyers and sellers understand that there are a lot of issues that can potentially arise that can prevent you from getting that home that you want. And you really need to make sure you have everything in place or work with an agent that knows how to get you to closing and get the closing done.
0: All right, so what other? Any other major issues that... uh? Pop up at closing, or you know, is yes. it so. So we're done now. You know, I we're would at the closing. Say
1: title is also. You have a title company present as well. Um, now, title should be pulled before you go to closing. It can be pulled a few days, a few weeks before you go to closing. But make sure the title is clear. And also, there are certain bills that need to be um, settled. Uh, say, con Ed bill, water bill. That has to be cleared up. The, your, your, cl- my client, which is the seller, has to make sure they settle those accounts before title is transferred before the title is closed so these are other things as well the last one of the last closings I did have there was a slight issue with title and the title company was saying that they had to go to the bank and close out the account but they, they so they went to the bank my clients got up and went all the way to the bank to close out this particular account with the bank it was called a line of credit or whatever it was called I'm not too sure they come back saying the bank says, where's the checks? So you can't close out an account with a bank if you have an existing property you're trying to sell without taking the checks to the actual bank. So there's a few things that were going on, a very, very, very interesting, and these are the things to, I like to have a conversation with my client to prepare them for what's going to happen at closing and let them know, make sure to be prepared, have this with you, have that with you, and who's a, Title company. If I can speak with them to see if there's any foreseeable issues, these are all things that are preventing anything from going
0: wrong. And uh, who retains the title company? The buyer, the buyer's bank, the seller, the buyer. The buyer has to pull. The buyer has to pull title. So normally that's done by the buyer's attorney. We'll put all that in pro. In, exactly. In pro, or or the lender, which exactly the buyer's attorney,
1: um, they pull title.
0: Okay. All right, so we got everything squared away. So now are we can, are we happy yet? Are, are we, we are
1: happy? happy. We got keys. Now let, my, let the client know, the seller know, bring all the keys. You're, you're selling the property. You no longer have access. So don't hold anything in your purse or your pocket. Everything is given over to the new owners of the property. Bring all the keys, all the access. There was like a shed in the back that, that my client did not have the keys for. So she didn't bring it to the closing, so I just had to clip the lock and everything like that. But you don't want anyone to have a reason to want to back back out or delay it. You would be amazed what some people try to do. Imagine you have a key to the shed in the back, and they're like, "Listen, you know what? We want the key. Um, we, we're not closing until we get the key. We want access. We don't know what you're hiding in the shed. We, don't, we haven't seen." So it's just so many things just to avoid. I'm, I'm like I'm not uh, like a, a nervous person by nature, but. You have to be kind of nervous that something may go wrong. There's a term that attorneys use uh, speaking about look at the worst thing that can possibly happen and try to work from there. Try to uh, er eliminate the worst things that can possibly happen to position yourself to be able to succeed in whatever you're
0: doing. Wow. Wow. So I see it's a pretty, pretty detailed process, but I guess one that gets done. It happens every day. Every day somebody's closing on a property somewhere. So I guess, um, you know, it, it gets done. Everyone's closing
1: the property everywhere, and everyone is not closing. A lot of people are not closing. Things get <laughs> held up. Yeah, things fall apart. They get delayed. People change their mind. So yeah, closing every day, but there's also a lot of mishaps.
0: So h- how do you, how do you like the 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 uh, the you've been doing this for how long now
1: i've been starting around 2006 as an investor and then i realized i needed to go and get a license to really understand the ins and outs of real estate so i've been licensed over the last corner four years But i started in 2006 on the investing
0: side so how do you how, you know happy with your decisions or
1: i love it it fits my personality type uh i love working with sellers um I love educating them, walking them through the process. And there's nothing better than seeing, taking a, a picture or just seeing your client at the closing, selling a property that, that they had in their life for so long, ready to move on in life, purchasing another property and just um, putting this behind them, just the joy, the expression on their face, to see that it has actually happened, the transactions gone through, they received that large check, in their pocket, I know that makes you happy, right? Life. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's that's why we do it. That's why, <laughs> that's we, why to, we do it. That's why we do it.
0: Because um, now, now, um, so so, you know, part of the part of the joy in this too is that as the agent, right? Um, mm-hmm. The agents get like five percent, ten percent, or six no, percent. I charge typically.
1: Uh, you will see, six percent agents that charge as high as ten. I heard of it done, but I, I would never. If I charge anyone ten percent, I don't expect to get any kind of referrals um, from that person ever. Of mm. course, that's um. I'll, I'll do six percent, five percent,
0: if six uh, percent, and that's of the asking price or the selling price. That's correct. Oh wow! So um, I I've heard I've seen these ads on television mm-hmm. about these um, real estate agents that you can use, and you know they, they talk about doing you know like two percent. hmm um why 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 should i pay you 6 if mm-hmm. i can get one of these guys to and only pay them two. I mean, that's 4% that goes into my account as opposed to going in your account. And when you look at it, right, so, like, we might think, you know, like in, in, in Brooklyn, you know, like, houses are going for, like, 900000 800000 a mill mil 1.2. We might think that that's a hell of a lot of money. But, you know, some, you know, like, as you mentioned, some agents take 10% of that. Then there's some kind of transfer tax or something that you got to pay. Does that, does the seller pay that? Um, there's this n- weird New York City thing, I, you know. Then there's the closer fee. There's somebody that comes in. I to have. I think this person only you only see him in New York, um, but he comes in and he just. I don't know what the hell he does, but he's there and he gets a check. He gets he gets a little something something. Then the seller has to pay his attorney. He gets a little something something. I mean. They're probably bank fees to get the mortgage. So it's kind of, you know, the seller is paying off quite a few people. So how do you argue against a seller saying, uh, Mr. Johnson, I recognize that, you know, you do a really great job, but, you know, at 6%, I can go over here and get, you know, I forget the name is it. There are two services I saw recently on, on, on TV that, you know, do something like 2%. How, why shouldn't I give them the 2% instead of your 6%, Mr. Johnson? What's, what do you do that's special? I would say that, and everyone knows the term, you get what you pay for. That's all I'll say.
1: You get what you pay for. If you are hiring individuals that's going to be charging 2%, 1%, really find out what you're getting. And if that works for you, go that route. You know, but I put all my time and energy into ensuring that my clients get beyond the closing.
0: let me ask you this so let's say hypothetically you represent 10 sellers out of those 10 sellers, what percent of those actually close?
1: The sellers that I have 100 percent close okay I, I don't have any sellers that have not well this one seller that I did have that actually changed their mind. You have that as well. They decided to put it in the market and for whatever reason, they changed their mind, they decided to keep it. Uh, One seller saw that there was so many people interested in buying. They thought it was a problem. Now they realized that, wow, everyone wants my property. Maybe I should want it too. So they kind of (laughs) changed their mind. But once we get along in the process, once we get to an accepted offer, contracts executed, that's when I go into overdrive. And I have not had a deal that is falling apart once we have an executed contract.
0: Not one. So do you often partner with other agents so that, you know, you take your 6% and probably because another agent help you in some kind of way you split or, you know, share some of your fee with them. Does that happen? I like doing it that way more because I like – I'm not a buyer's agent. I
1: have agents that I work with that are very just as good as I am with working with sellers. They're just as good working with buyers. So working with an agent that's really new um, and doesn't really understand the dynamics of working with a buyer, those are the deals that I find that fall apart. But working with agents that are very, very strong agents, skill and their personality types are fit for working with buyers. I like working with them. And I like splitting commission with them. People I wanna get people want to get paid. So I split half. I give them half of um, the commission. It comes from my my pocket. So, so if I charge five percent, if I charge six percent, they're gonna get half of that.
0: So let me ask you this though, right? So um the buyer, right? Does a buyer pay his agent? They can set it up that way.
1: Typically, if there's enough commission, if I'm getting 6% and the buyer's agent is getting half of that, there's no need to charge your client. There's no need to charge a buyer. You will not find it. But,
0: but I guess what I'm saying, is if let's say if I'm an agent and I pretty much focus on buyers, if it's not, I mean, it's, it's understood that I'm going to get a piece of the seller's commission because, as I understand it, Buyers don't pay an agent. that's correct. All the fees for the agent comes through the seller or from the seller, and it's based on the price. Now there is a
1: situation in which now going back to that two percent right that two percent discount broker that we're speaking about oh, now you now you're gonna now you're gonna call' them a
0: discount broker.
1: I mean, there's a discount <laughs> that is a huge discount right. So, say for example, say, let's, let's look at a scenario. You have very, very strong agents that work with buyers. They have strong buyers that are ready to go, working with them for six months, waiting for something to come on, a, on, a, on the market. You have a homeowner that says, Listen, I want to save money, so I'm going to work with this discount broker. And how are they going to entice strong Brooklyn, strong New York, Manhattan agents? to work with that particular brokerage if they're not getting commission. So they're gonna have to charge their buyer a commission now because they need to eat as well. This is what they do. Look, we don't have clothes, sometimes we don't have clothes for six months. So the commission that we get, we have to actually budget our money to live off that, to pay our family, to take care of our bills for that duration of time. So that's the problem. And you do have agents that will charge their buyer part of the commission if they don't feel as though they're getting enough
0: commission from the seller's agent. Wow. All right, so um, so in these last few minutes, right, so you mentioned you were an investor. You started out as a real estate investor. Um, have, you, have you invested primarily in New York City? Have you looked outside of New York? Um, is your purview beyond the confounds of New York State? You know, um, I hear that a lot of people are looking into Baltimore because Baltimore has some really relatively inexpensive housing. A year or so ago, I heard a lot of people were looking into Detroit because Detroit was a hot market. Um, do you look at national markets, or are you primarily New York-focused?
1: I focus on markets that have the potential to be the next Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Cron Heights, a lot of people didn't see it coming Going back 20 years ago, Crown Heights was an area where you wouldn't imagine the value of property on average for brownstone. Oh brother,
0: you can to get into a political discussion here, because <laughs> 20 <laughs> years ago, all right, let's 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 educate the listening audience. Um, Crown Heights, 20 years ago, was a predominantly black community. West
1: Indian, absolutely, yep.
0: Okay, um, presently. Um, Crown Heights is a predominantly uh, kind of hard to say what is predominant now because it's so many of everybody. It's a here. melting pot. Yes. All right. All right. So, so 20 years ago, you couldn't imagine the value. So when it was all black, even black folk couldn't see value, mm-hmm. which seems to suggest that even black folk have issue with identifying value. In communities that are primarily black. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, is that what you're suggesting, good brother? Or,
1: you know? I'm not suggesting that. Um, all I'm <laughs> suggesting is that I try to identify areas all that right. may have, you know, brick property, brownstones um, that are in areas right now that have the potential of being another type of a Another melting brownite, pot. Another melting pot. So Philadelphia is one of them. Philadelphia is a beautiful city, and you have... A lot of drug activities happen in certain blocks, high in crime. You have individuals that kind of get a hold of crime in certain areas, uh, especially areas that are close to universities, close to uh, public transportation.
0: talking about Temple University? Yeah. 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 University of Pennsylvania out in West Philly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You have individuals that would like, you have faculty members that would love to live close to the university, but they may not want to have to go further out because they may not feel as safe. Mm -hmm. So these are areas. Chicago is another one. Chicago is a
0: beautiful city, great property. But, brother, you know, as you describe these locations that you think might be the next Crown Heights, you know, I I was born and raised in Philadelphia. So um, when you talk about neighborhoods around universities, I I kind of know that those neighborhoods are are predominantly uh, black neighborhoods Mm. and. Um, you didn't want to specifically come out and say whether these up-and-coming neighborhoods uh, could be easily identifiable as being located in major metropolitan areas and comprising of predominantly black uh, residents presently. But I guess, you know, that's, that's something, you know what, this, this is something that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Crown Heights 20 years ago. Bedford-Stuyvesant, 20, thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. Harlem, twenty thirty years ago. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Parts of North Philly, um, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Parts of West Philly, mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years ago. Um, central cities, mm-hmm. um, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, there was a mass exodus. Middle class, i.e. white, um, families moving out of the cities mm-hmm. um, into the suburbs. Um, now there's a mass exodus out of the suburbs with those folks, you know, moving back into the cities, new interests. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just find it so interesting that even black folk have a hard time, had a hard time seeing value in black neighborhoods when they are primarily black or, you know, predominantly black. Um, and, and I guess when you look at home ownership, when you look at wealth creation or just the, the attempt to provide a foundation for household wealth by investing in a home, mm-hmm. right, um, this pattern of predominantly black neighborhoods not, being seen as value Mm -hmm. um goes against the notion that you can buy a home and have it provide that foundation for household wealth family wealth legacy wealth Mm -hmm. um because we see that in these predominantly black neighborhoods um they don't enjoy the level of price appreciation um Unless and until it becomes a melting pot.
1: Yes, I, I got to tell you what I'm seeing now is, and having conversation with individuals that know I practice real estate and know me from back in the day. You know, they we speak about things like this, and what we have concluded is that now that we are seeing what's taking place right in front of our eyes, we are becoming more educated and wanting to identify opportunities to invest. So I believe education. Is very very key in understanding uh, the value of property and ownership, and now that's why me personally because I'm in the same s- scenario. I'm 45 years old. I've seen Crown heights change right before my eyes, and right now, as I am in real estate, I'm looking for opportunities that I can partake of to help my family to uh, raise raise my sons to educate them about real estate and investing, and I would love to help anyone else. You know. Is all about this understanding. We've seen it with our own eyes. If we don't take advantage of what we've seen, then we'll we be in the same place, essentially, um, not owning property, not investing in property. There's an opportunity. I'm going to try to identify it and take advantage of it.
0: All right, so presently you see opportunities in places like Philadelphia, Chicago, um, some other cities. Some of the things to look for, some of the ways to identify these opportunities is to look for uh let's say um, colleges and universities that have a inner-city campus um, look around and kind of like identify the neighborhoods around them, um, chances are that as those universities grow the demand and need for housing for their faculty, staff, administrators grow. Um, they don't necessarily want to take the long commutes, so there's a chance that there'll be demand. So. People who are looking for opportunities to invest. Let me ask you this. Have you heard of something called the Tulsa Real Estate Fund? I have not. Oh, okay. All right. It's a group of black folk who are raising, I think their goal is to raise $50 million through a reg A-plus um, registration um, uh to, to invest in, in neighborhoods or whatever. So so I guess, you know, if you had heard of them, I would have asked, you know, this kind of question. So I, I'll just change it. So do, do you see evidence of black folks coming together as investors to say, okay, let's pull our resources and let's try to buy up, you know, a block, in let's say Philadelphia, near Diamond Street or Susquehanna Avenue that's somewhere near Temple that we could, you know, renovate or whatever. Or hey, let's pull our resources, let's, you know, go up to Chicago, or whatever. Do you see that kind of happening? I mean I get the sense that a lot of individual black folk are looking at to do things, but in the grand scheme of things, when you look at some of these things, you need is larger money you need. So I'm wondering, do you see any evidence of black folk coming together to, like, pull their resources? I'm sure you're aware that back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, there were some black folks up in Harlem who were trying to, you know, pull black folks together to buy up property up in Harlem um, without, not without, or with, they weren't very successful in doing that, um, but, there was an effort do you see any of that happening now you know um
1: what i've seen as far as individuals reaching out to me to invest um not on that scale but i do see like you mentioned individuals who may be coming together with some funds to try to acquire property but then again i'm not really this is here's my market. You may see that in other markets. You may see that in other territories. I know Philadelphia right now is really, really growing with investors. Um, me as a real estate agent, um, I kind of stay away from the ethnicity mm. and class uh, because of my license. Um, but um, personally, what I've seen, I've seen in this market here, um, you would see small pockets trickling here, there, but I would like to work with developers on a larger scale i know a few developers but um as it is now i've been working with the um, single and multi-family units um, i'm looking to move further into the more development type of projects um, so that's that's up that's up and coming but right now I still like working with the homeowners that are just re- really want to make sure they get the most money they possibly can for the property that they grew up in, that they invested in and put their blood, sweat, and tears in. That's who I like representing.
0: Do you do any kinds of other investments besides real estate? Do you do any stocks, currencies, or, you know, um, any other uh, asset investments that you've seen, you know, that that are working out for you? Or I do...
1: Stocks, but I do options trading. I don't try to own individual stocks. I purchase options, and um, that's a whole different dynamic. It, there's a huge learning curve for me to really understand the dynamics of options trading as opposed to stock trading. I also look for um, cryptocurrencies that are asset-backed, and I've identified one <laughs> so far. And I kind of played in that space a bit um and yeah those are just stocks i also invest in um countries that have really gone through war and gone through this this sanctions and just have really tried to change and come out of sanctions and now growing economies i invest in their currencies because their currencies are going to be increasing in value over time so um, so I looked at that. So I invest in countries with currencies that have been depleted that are going to be changing, growing, and having uh, a strong governments. And I also look for cryptocurrencies because I believe that's going to be a new wave of reaching the globe with, um, with, um, with finances. Uh,
0: I heard that uh, someone was telling me that a way to play cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. is to uh, buy power and energy stocks because oh. – the whole blockchain thing requires so much energy because you have to have all these computers, and all these computers have to be on, and so um, very expensive, very costly to go to route unless you're really working. There's a new company, I
1: believe, that has is not as expensive to be able to get the um, get the what do they call again? They are the actual um, the engine or the electric systems that are actually mining the coins so these are these are machines that mine the actual coins very very expensive to w- run produces a large electric bill but there's one machine that has come out don't know the name of it but it's less costly and it's just as effective so that's one way you can mine coins that's one way to, to do it um but I, I wouldn't me personally that's not what i'm looking to do mine them
0: Well, Mr. Johnson, I appreciate you showing up today and sharing with us your insights on what it takes to get to the closing table. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Like if um, someone wanted to follow up with you, is there a website, address, email address, or uh, some kind of way somebody could reach out to you? Uh, Sure,
1: absolutely. If you know of anyone that just wants to know a little more about the value of their property, wants to know more about uh, the ins and outs of selling the property, even buying, anything relating to real estate, feel free to reach out to me. I do free consultations. I'll send you a free report. Some people want reports quarterly. I can send them free reports just so they see the trending market and how their property is is doing in this trending market. You can reach out to me on my cell number, 646-500-9018, 646-500-9018 or you can email me at dot com.
0: Well, thank you, Mr. Johnson. I appreciate you taking the time today to uh, share with us your insights. Um, hope maybe you can come back again uh, in a few weeks, maybe a month or so, and give us an update on what's happening in the real estate market, share with us some more of the, uh, the um, information you had to share and help educate the listening audience out there on, you know, what it takes to be successful in real estate uh, investing. Um, so thank you so much I appreciate-